You're listening to the SSDN Green Minds Podcast. I'm Laurel Creech, co-host of the podcast series, along with Katherine Mercer-Baggett. And today we're very excited to bring you information all about Integrated Resource Plans, or IRP for short. Just recently, Georgia Power underwent the Integrated Resource Plan process and just released their most recent IRP this past July. And so first, we're going to kick off the conversation with talking with Ann Livingston, SSDN's Director of Policy Programs, to learn a little bit about what the IRP process is, why it's important, and how municipalities can get involved. And then after that, I'll have a conversation with Alicia Brown, Savannah's Clean Energy Program Manager, and John R. Seidel. He is now the Deputy Chief Sustainability Officer for the City of Atlanta. So we're going to learn all about IRPs on this episode of the SSDN Green Minds Podcast. You're listening to the SSDN Green Minds podcast, and I'm excited today to have one of many several guests, but I want to first give a warm introduction to Ann Livingston. She is the Director of Policy Programs for Southeast Sustainability Directors Network. How's it going, Ann? Great. How are you, Laurel? Good, good. Thanks for taking time to be with me. Um, I know that your position, you've been a member of USDN when you were the city of Fort Lauderdale, then did some consulting with SSDN, but have now been in this new position um, almost a full year. It'll be a one-year anniversary coming up this month in September. Um, so can you share a little bit about what you do for SSDN? Yeah, it hadn't even occurred to me that it would be one year already. The time has flown by, but it's 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 been great working with all of the members in a, a different capacity. Uh, my current role with SSDN is as a, the director of the policy program. Uh, we, of course, provide support in all 10 of SSDN states, um, but more deeply resource direct policy engagements in Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee and South Carolina, um, where we have a greater number of members and members that have identified a need to engage at the state level in order to achieve their goals locally. So, uh, for example, a number of SSDN's members have clean or renewable energy goals with certain target years. So, for example, 100% renewable energy by 2050 um, for a given city or county. They've over time realized that in order to achieve those goals, they really need to work with their utilities and their state regulators in order to change the generation mix, like, for example, switching from coal and natural gas to um, solar, offshore wind or similar, as well as increase energy efficiency programming, things that they just cannot do locally and certainly not locally and alone, but you know, maybe through joint partnerships with utilities or um, working with state regulators to ensure that utilities do source more of their electricity uh, through PV or wind or other means. Mm-hmm. So we work with our members to identify opportunities at the state level, um, provide education information on the technologies, the um processes, so whether it's like an integrated resource plan, like recently come up in Georgia, the carbon plan process in North Carolina, the Florida Energy Efficiency and Conservation Act opportunities related to energy efficiency in Florida. Some examples of where we, we find opportunities in the states where members can engage, provide information on those dockets or procedures, as well as a 
policy choice points, find that, and then support the members that do want to move forward in engaging at the state level. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a nutshell, that's really what we do at the policy program look for opportunities, um, discuss them with members. If the members want to engage, we help them in any way we can. Um, and so far, I think we've been able to make some some changes at the states that do support local action. So very happy to see that. Yeah, and that's certainly needed in the Southeast, which sometimes the state um, state legislature is a little bit different than the city le- legislature may not be as supportive of some of our goals or climate goals. So that is so needed. So grateful for your role, Anne. Um, so today's topic on the Green Minds podcast is specifically around Georgia Power's Integrated Resource Plan, or IRP for short. So um, I think it would be helpful for those that are tuning in to understand a little bit what an IRP is. So let's go ahead and if you can explain what is an IRP and why is it important? Right. So Integrated Resource Plan is a fairly common framework across the United States. And it's, whether it's called an IRP or a 10 year site plan, like in Florida, or um, some aspects of the carbon plan in North Carolina are also very close to an IRP. But really, what you're looking at is your generation mix, right? So, are you going to try to retire more coal over time? Are you looking at bringing more natural gas online or retiring natural gas units as well? How are you going to support and site and provide transmission for utility scale, solar or distributed generation, right? So um, it is really, again, aimed at what the mix of generation resources are and committing specific utilities to that plan moving forward, typically with some level of state oversight, which is typically at the utility commission, um, sometimes called a public service commission sometimes called a utility commission or state corporations commission in the case of Virginia. Um, Part of the IRP process that is also interesting is the load forecasting. So for example, how much generation are you really going to need? And um, what are you looking at in terms of daily demand and time of use and that sort of thing? So um, this is where energy efficiency can also typically come in to an IRP or similar process. So although the process itself is really aimed at the resource mix, you also need to be planning for the type of load that you're going to have, right? So um, that can include things like reduced energy consumption due to energy efficiency measures, or in the case of transportation electrification, how do we then look at perhaps the load forecast is actually increasing, even if your population is staying static? So now for Georgia Power, um, so they their IRP was a projection for three years on how to provide energy to its 2.7 million customers over the next 20 years. And so that 2.7 million customers, is that that projective population growth that they're expecting over the next 20 years and 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 that's part of the IRP plan roadmap. Yes. yes. So you look at your population growth if you have known industrial customers coming in, if you have a projection for transportation electrification or uptake of electric vehicles, um, what is that going to look like in terms of your resource load and what you'll need to provide generation mm-hmm. for? 
Now, public engagement is an important, should be an important component of the IRP process. And I know certainly I'm in TVA territory and we did, um, there was a public engagement process for the latest IRP and I think they're getting ready to do another one. Um, And it was really, really important for the city to be very engaged in that and also for our mayor to send letter of support or recommendations, not Mm -hmm. not support, but letters of recommendations as they consider that. So um, how does that, that public engagement, as well as our role as sustainability directors in municipalities play into um, the utilities looking at and and formulating the IRP? Yes, I think there's a couple layers that, right? So there's certainly direct public engagement So most utility commissions with most IRPs or similar processes have space for the general public or individual businesses to provide comment. And that's not a full intervention in the docket. You you don't need an attorney. You don't need highly technical staff. You, as a member of the public, can very often go and say, you know, I'm a retiree or um, single mother with limited income. and I'm struggling to pay for my air conditioning. Um, I would love help with my insulation or a better air conditioning. Often that type of format is provided. Um, but one thing that I think is really unique about local governments in general, sort of aside from that direct um, resident or business to state commission comments is that local governments are highly responsive to members of their community. Right? I mean, these are your neighbors. These are the businesses you frequent and support. Um, these are the, the, the people you live amongst every day, right? So it's a very different type of relationship. So one of the ways in which we've seen local governments engage is really as a steward of the community and standing up to represent the interests of their residents and businesses, right? So things like energy burden and indoor air quality and rate making. So how much are you paying per kilowatt? What does your total bill look like? How does that impact how you can pay for other things like rent and food or create struggles for people, right? Um, So there's that stewardship aspect. Um, There's also the fact that most local governments are large customers within their own utility service territory. So if you think about the square footage that local governments operate, um, they often run water and wastewater treatment plants, those street lights. They are a large customer. So we typically also see our members moving forward with that voice. So they're really wearing two hats, right? One is a steward of the community, um, attempting to achieve um, all sorts of benefits, whether it be health, safety, economic, um, climate specific, um, on behalf of the residents and businesses, and then also as operators of large facilities and fleets and how that impacts their own operations. So um, very unique um, stakeholders within the utility commission space and the energy regulation space and almost without exception, the local governments that we engage with on state policy matters wear both hats and speak to speak to both hats when they speak with state regulars. And how have, has your position been involved in helping municipalities and how to champion themselves to the utility during the IRP process? Yeah. So, In general, and certainly within the IRP context, um, we typically go through a sort of ongoing cycle where we scan the horizon for opportunities at the state level where our members can work to support 
their local goals. So things like the IRP, things like rate cases, um, things like energy efficiency dockets where goals may be set on that front. Um, once we identify those opportunities, we, pro we provide that information to our members and provide associated capacity building. So um, education with the IRP process looks like in general. And then for folks who, who are interested, we move forward with more specifics on a given IRP process. And then if, if people want to engage by way of a public comment letter or verbal testimony or full intervention, we then work with them to get the information they need, help them draft documents as needed and provide capacity support in that, in that regard. Um, so for example, in Georgia, uh, we worked with our members and another partner uh, based out of Atlanta, South Face, and provided a lot of information on IRP process, what this particular IRP process was likely to look at and what we we're anticipating in terms of Georgia Power proposal. Uh, worked more with the communities that were interested in moving forward and then continued to facilitate those conversations, help with crafting of documents uh, and so on. Now, I know um, sir, as you explained earlier, Anne, about a little bit of a shift in the IRP process because of EVs coming online, increased mm -hmm. efficiency as well as um, carbon neutral goals or carbon zero carbon goals um, as it relates to the energy mix. How have you seen utilities responding to these shifts? Uh, it depends on the utility. I mean, interestingly enough, even where you have utilities that have adopted fairly strong goals themselves. So, um, you know, for example, Florida Power Light, Duke Energy, they are also looking to move forward in a way that is cost effective to the customers. And in some cases, there are state level uh, mandates that you find a least cost alternative. Um, so generally within those bounds, local governments, other stakeholders, the utilities themselves work to try to find a path forward. Uh, there certainly, um, aspects of the utility business model where um, you need to address things like um, often called stranded assets, right? But so you have, for example, a coal plant or natural gas plant that was built and from a purely environmental perspective, you may say, okay, we, we need to shut that down and move on to solar, right? But if you haven't yet paid off that asset or don't have transmission lines to where you want to, install utility scale solar, um, you need to address that as well. So it really is a balancing act. Um, I think local governments coming into the process is relatively new. And again, like as, as we discussed earlier, local governments have a unique positioning in terms of who they are as stakeholders. I think that that really has the potential to make a, a big difference. Um, so our members, of course, um, represent municipal and county interests, but are also typically municipalities and counties that have adopted, um, if not defined goals, at least a vision uh, where they're working towards sustainability or resilience. Mm -hmm. So that's a really unique voice. And I, I think that um, that is new, but it is all new in terms of showing up in the commission space, but also already 
uh, showing impacts in the outcomes of these processes. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly for, for some utilities, well, like for instance, TVA, they're, uh, the energy efficiency um, increase across the valley has put a strain on the revenues. So they are trying to figure out how to make up that difference. And EVs is one way that they are leaning in on that. And their carve out from the last IRP for energy efficiency was the smallest that we have ever seen. Um, Is that, are you seeing that a similar trend happening or is, is maybe TVA unique, unique system in itself? Yeah. I mean, when you account for that one of the major factors in load forecasting is population, and within the Southeast, we have states like Florida, Georgia, where you have a lot of population growth. Mm -hmm. If Mm -hmm. every individual customer were to become much more efficient, you would still have an increase in demand that would need to be accounted for in the forecast. And interestingly, I think the the EV question um, is becoming more and more uh, present in these dockets because that will create an increase in electricity demand regardless of what else is is happening. Um, so I don't know if you saw today, but California is discussing not allowing any internal combustion engines, so getting completely off of gas engines by 2035. So when you think about that type of thing, or even like a five percent increase per state, you know, in each state, 5% of vehicle owners switching to EVs within the next few years, that's, that's a big jump mm-hmm. in demand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Huge jump. Yeah. And that can also be scary in having to manage that, right? Because when, the, when yeah. is that going to, when is that demand going to be at the greatest and how is the existing infrastructure going to be able to manage that? It's a big yeah. question. <laughs> Um, well, one, I'll ask one more question, Anne, from one thing that's really been interesting for, for the city of Nashville is that we obviously do our greenhouse gas emissions inventory at least every two years. And our, um, emissions have fortunately have been going down, which is always a good thing. Congratulations. Yes. A lot of it is to do with the carbon reduction in TVA's energy mix, which, we have advocated for, so we have some level of, you know, pats on our back for, but, um, it's, it's not, it's definitely not exactly tied to something we're doing locally. And, um, I, I would assume that that's, that's probably a commonality, right? We want that to be happening with our utilities, but it would be interesting to carve out what the utility trajectory is doing versus the trajectory of what the city is doing. And, and maybe something like a wedge analysis would help do that. Um, but we're, we just released our newest greenhouse gas emissions inventory two weeks ago. And we're, you know, saying, yeah, this is great. And we went down. And of course the biggest question is why? And we have to say, well, our energy mix is getting cleaner, but it's just been, it's just an interesting story that we're telling, but we want to be able to say, but even better is we've done this, this, and this, this, right. But I would, I would assume that that's probably the case in most, most cities that the carbon mix is getting better and therefore the inventories are looking better. And I think that inevitably what we really need are strong partnerships between local governments, the utilities and the state regulators, or in the case of, of TVA, you know, 
TVA themselves and federal regulators. But um, if you look at the intersection between like EV readiness code to support electric vehicle adoption, right? That is typically at the local level. Mm-hmm. Um, ease of permitting for on-site solar combined with the utilities responsibilities on interconnection combined with the state regulators push to support net energy metering or some use on these issues, we really need everybody working in the same direction. And I think it is, you can do everything you could do at the local level. And still you would need your utility to become less carbon intensive. Mm -hmm. By the same token, the utility could do a whole lot of work and experience a lot more friction as necessary if local governments aren't partnering Mm -hmm. with them, right? Like to bring opportunities to low-income residents in terms of housing rehab programs or weatherization, right? So inevitably to get there in a timely manner and in an efficient way, a cost-effective way, everybody needs to be working together and heading in that same direction. Mm -hmm. Well, with that said, Anne, I appreciate you being with us today here on the Green Minds podcast and you are a guru in so much, including IRP process. So thank you for sharing the input with us. As always, it's a pleasure, Laurel. You're you're way too kind in, in your remarks, but always a pleasure. Let me know if I can help anytime okay. in the future. You're listening to the SSDN Green Minds podcast. I'm your co-host, Laurel Creech here, and that was Anne Livingston. She is the SSDN Director of Policy Programs and appreciate her insight about IRPs. Now we're going to head over to Alicia Brown, Savannah's Clean Energy Program Manager, and John Seidel, Deputy Chief Sustainability Officer for the City of Atlanta, as we talk about the Georgia Power IRP process and how the City of Savannah and the City of Atlanta, as well as other municipalities, engaged in the process and their current process through the rate change conversations. So here is Alicia Brown and John Seidel on SSDN Green Minds podcast. We listen to the SSDN Green Minds podcast. I'm excited to have two special guests with me today to talk about Georgia Power's most recent IRP. I want to give a warm welcome to Alicia Brown. She's a clean energy program energy manager for the city of Savannah. And John R. Seidel, director for sustainability for the city of Atlanta. How are you guys doing today? Doing great, Laurel. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Great. Well, thanks. Good to be here. Good, good, good. Well, I'm excited to be able to dive into this conversation. Um, A lot of SSDN members work through the IRP process somehow, some way, um, through their work in city government and sustainability and clean energy. So excited to be able to share some information with our peers. First, I think it'll be interesting to give a, a little bit of perspective about your role in your city government, what that is, and how uh, the involvement you did with the Georgia Powers IRP was important to your role. So Alicia, it seems like it definitely directly aligns with your work as being the clean energy program manager for the city. It does. Um, We, Savannah, passed our clean energy plan in December of 2021, and something we identified as an important strategy in that plan was intervening in the IRP at the Public Service Commission. We're in a state like much of the South where we have very little control over the energy that we use. We don't have a municipal utility. We're not in an RTO market. We're not in a deregulated state. So even though the city can go out and purchase renewable energy or put solar on our roof, we're really at the mercy of Georgia Power at the end of the day when it comes to 
every electron that we use being renewable. So we knew we needed to get involved in that process. And I told my boss pretty early on that it was something that I wanted to do, felt comfortable doing, and wanted to bring other governments in to join us on as well. Great. Thanks, Alicia. How about you, John? Obviously, you're director of sustainability, so you oversee and manage multiple different facets of sustainability, but specifically around the Georgia Power, Power IRP. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, as to what Alicia was saying, uh, the city of Atlanta also shares a 100% clean energy goal by 2035 uh, as part of our clean energy plan called Clean Energy Atlanta, which was adopted in 2019. Uh, has as one of the main action items uh, to be uh, a, a for, and have a formal presence uh, at the IRP, uh, this 20-year planning process, um, because of uh, our unique uh, state and uh, regulatory powers that the Public Service Commission and, uh, and Georgia Power has. Uh, in order to reach these 100% goals, we have to uh, work in partnership with Georgia Power and the, and the Public Service Commission and um, just in terms of how, how big the city of Atlanta is, uh, our airport, our uh, watershed management utility, uh, as well as all of our other city of Atlanta buildings, uh, just us as a consumer is around 7% um, of the entire city of Atlanta's community-wide energy use. And all of us together um, in our coalition uh, represent a population that's pretty darn sizable. I think it was about 15% of the state's population and right around uh, 15% of Georgia Power's um, uh, energy mix as well. If you take the community-wide and um, and our county slash uh, city energy footprint. So in terms of energy, uh, energy use, uh, best use of taxpayer dollars and looking out for our community members, and advancing our 100% clean energy goals, uh, it had to happen. And um, what I was excited about is not doing this alone uh, because in uh, 2019, the city of Atlanta intervened in the rate case uh, formally for the first time and, uh, and we did that alone. And we had some uh, really key wins that came out of it. And uh, I think even deeper relationships with uh, Georgia Power um, and our partners at the Public Service Commission um, and, and leading to uh, the 2022 IRP uh, where we didn't intervene alone. And uh, that, that's obviously been a really big highlight and why it's important uh, that we did uh, intervene this go around. Yeah, we're going to uh, touch on the rate case and in just a few minutes. Um, so Alicia, what, uh, first I want to start with you about your experience with the IRP sort of starting out from the first steps that Georgia Power was proceeding with doing their next IRP and what, how, and how, and what sort of, what was the process that the city of Savannah did in working through that process? Yeah, well, so most of these pieces were done together. So, I mean, the first thing we did was just filed our application, which explained why we needed to be there, what we were interested in. And that was on behalf of all five governments. Um, the next step was we went up to Atlanta for the set of hearings where Georgia Power presented their case. And at that point, uh, we had come up with a group of questions as um, individual governments working together. Um, but ultimately, I was the one who asked those questions for um, cross-examination. And then from there, we did direct testimony where we were able to put um, 
an expert witness, Dr. Howard Axelrod on the stand and also put another expert witness, Mr. John R. Seidel, Director of Sustainability for the City of Atlanta on the stand as well. And then we have one more chance to um, cross-examine Georgia Power during their rebuttal hearings. And from there, it just went to a commission decision. So at every step of the way, we were all working together because it's a lot of reading, a lot of different um, analyses and models and terms. And it really helps having a group to share that load. And it also helps to have several of the governments there in Atlanta for the more administrative part of things. But the big thing is we also have more heft. Like John R was saying, it's, we have a big percentage of the state, a big percentage of the sales, and that gets recognized. John, did you wanna, John R, did you wanna add anything to that? Uh, I, I think in terms of our, our coalition and knowing what it was like to go in alone versus what it's like going in as a coalition, I can say it was definitely uh, a lot more helpful um, going in as a coalition to be able to help uh, fill in gaps. Um, you know, this is an important part of our jobs, but it's not the only thing that we do. Uh, and sometimes, you know, if you just going into these formal hearings and you've never done it before can be very, um, even intimidating, perhaps even a little overwhelming. And to be able to create a strategy uh, along with our five different governmental partners as a part of um, that, that are also SSDN members, um, allowed us to also, I think, deepen our relationships um, as, uh, as public servants and, uh, you know, continue to professionally develop uh, in our own careers uh, as we were able to advocate for, you know, specific programs uh, and resources uh, with the decision makers at the state level and uh, also get some exciting wins out of it as well, which is, you know, always an important part of, you know, spending so much time doing something you want to have uh, some good outcomes come from that as well. Through the work that you all did, what are some of the successes that came out that, that perhaps would have not happened if it wasn't for y'all's involvement in the, in the municipality's involvement? Yeah, so in Georgia, there's kind of a two-stage process to the outcome. The first step is called the stipulation, and that's an agreement that's reached between the Public Service Commission staff and the utility. So in that stage, we received a seat at the table for the tariff design for their Clean and Renewable Energy Subscription Program, which is a large subscription program for commercial entities and now includes a carve out for, um, they're calling us MUSH customers, municipal universities, schools, and hospitals. Um, but we get a seat at the table on that, which can hopefully be a venue for addressing some of our concerns and just making the program more workable for organizations like us. Um, we also, received the continuation of the automated benchmarking tool, which is used for like measuring building performance over time. And that's going to be important for um, Savannah and Decatur going forward, but it's already really important for Atlanta. And I'll let him, let John R speak to that further. Um, but then the second stage is where the commission um, actually votes on things and um, we had some of our concerns that were deferred to the rate case that we're going to get an additional opportunity to address. Um, but we kind of negotiated a side agreement with Georgia Power in the interim, um, which is like basically in addition to the stipulation. And as a part of that, we got some pretty good wins. We had a pilot program for tariff on bill energy efficiency 
uh, brought to Savannah, and it's also going to be um, potentially expanded in Atlanta and Athens, where we've already been operating. Um, we're also going to be working with Georgia Power to streamline income qualification because we've understood that can be a burden. Uh, John R., what am I forgetting? I know there are two others. Oh, there's a DER program that we're going to get to shape. And then what's the fourth one? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I'm, write, I'm writing them all out to see if you might have missed anything. Um, I, I, it's a good sign when you have uh, so many wins that, you know, you're, you're losing track. That's a, that's a good sign of a first, you know, uh, co-intervention, successful co-intervention uh, with our group. Uh, and and you, you'll see uh, a lot of that, uh, a lot of those outcomes are actually, you know, working closer with Georgia Power on helping develop and give feedback from a municipal point of view on renewable subscriptions. Uh, for those that want to meet their 100% clean energy goals, at some level, renew buying and purchasing renewable energy is going to be incredibly important. And so trying to reduce the barriers for local governments to be able to uh, to actually go out and, and purchase this renewable energy, as well as doing as much as we can with the resources that we have and partnerships to do as much energy, local energy efficiency and clean energy installations. Uh, I, I, you talked a little bit about the streamlining income uh, verification. It was a part of our, uh, as a part of our testimony and, uh, you know, actually being able to formally work with Georgia Power uh, to be able to try and find ways uh, to not just save uh, save this the rate payers, aka and Georgia Power uh, money, um, at the same time, also looking at ways uh, to make it more people uh, potentially qualify for the income efficiency resources and to make sure that those energy efficiency resources aren't left on the table. Um, because we do have high energy burdens in Georgia. Go ahead, Alicia. I was gonna say, I remember what we forgot. Um, we're gonna be working with Georgia Power to find philanthropic funds for pre-weatherization home repair, which is a huge issue in a historic city like Savannah, but pretty much every city, you're going to have homes that aren't quite in the condition to be sealed up or to receive other improvements. Yeah, I, I think you might've touched on it quickly. Did you talk about the automated benchmarking tool? I did, but something you could expand on is the DER program, because I just realized that we kind of hit that and kept going, because there are so many wins, like John R. said, that it's easy to forget some of them. Yeah, so uh, the DER, as they call it, DER, uh, Distributed Energy uh, Resources uh, Tariff, um, to, to, to try and summarize and make it easier to understand, the Georgia Power is offering uh, a service for uh, for customers to be able to enter in and actually be able to manage um, uh, manage energy distributed energy resources in times where there are uh, when you talk about resilience hubs as an example when uh, it, when you lose electricity to really mission critical uh, resources or centers um, that that need that power. Uh, and, and that service that, to that community. And so being able to work with Georgia Power going forward on uh, being able to potentially be a part of that program and making sure that, um, you know, at first uh, it was proposed to be set up where really only our uh, largest energy consumers think, you know, watershed utility um, buildings would, would be able to qualify 
by being able to, to advocate and work on um, being able to make uh, more uh, building loads qualify, like parks and recreation centers, like potentially fire stations, because um, the public doesn't have uh, access to our, our, our water stations is absolutely critical for sure. Um, but at the same time, being able to have more of that uh, resilience hub uh, ability in the future uh, could lay for you know even more partnership between uh, the city and our um, and our utility. I think that's what makes us unique is we came into this process as pretty much the only organization that was a customer but wasn't primarily advocating for itself as a customer. We were a lot more concerned about the residential energy burden or can we create resilience hubs for the community. And that voice had just been missing in the process. And even some points like during cross, like we would ask Georgia Power, like, well, will this program help us serve the community? And they admitted that they hadn't thought about that because no other entity besides the local government is going to be going in with, with a clean energy goal that covers multiple people or with, with that strong desire to have a product that serves the community. Alicia, did you talk about uh, the expansion of the RISE pilot to Savannah? I mentioned it briefly. So that's the Tariff Donbill Energy Efficiency Program. And I know that's kind of a mouthful. Tariff on bill is where you have on-bill financing that's not a loan. Instead, it's treated like a utility tariff where it's site-specific. So it's an investment at your property. If you move, the, the cost recovery remains at the location, the improvements remain at that location. So it's a lot more accessible than any other kind of on-bill financing. There's no credit check. You're not going to lose your home if you don't pay. It's exactly the same as if you don't pay your electric bill. So it's a lot lower risk. It's a lot more accessible. And it's been really popular with electric cooperatives, but hasn't really taken off with investor-owned utilities. So excited to see that Georgia Power is piloting this model and that they are opening up to Savannah because it was originally just Athens and Atlanta and uh, we were a little bit disappointed that we were left out. So grateful that we could negotiate in the IRP for that expansion. Well, those are some tremendous examples of successes that you guys have had. Um, there's lots of complexities to this process with Georgia Power that is 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 different than TVA. That's my territory I'm in Tennessee. Can you talk a little bit about the structure of Georgia Power? You had talked about it's a commission, and then you guys went and um, had had a process that um, people were on. Um, what did you call it? Up on testifying? Did you call it testify? So, can you talk a little bit about the structure of of Georgia Power and how this process was was unique to Georgia Power? Yeah, Georgia Power is an investor-owned utility. So compared to cooperatives and TVA and municipal utilities, they are for profit. And as such, they are regulated by the Public Service Commission, which is a five-member body in Georgia that's elected. Um, they represent districts, but there is currently some ambiguity underway because um, the districts are elected statewide. And there have been some concerns with that. So we're having a little bit of a shakeup in terms of how the commission is elected. Um, but they do provide oversight for what Georgia Power is allowed to build, how much they are allowed to recover from ratepayers, what programs they are to offer. 
And every three years, you have an integrated resource plan process, which is all the energy policy, and then it's followed immediately by a rate case. So a lot of this, there's definitely like a need for Georgia Power to and the commission to be responsive to community voices, which is why interveners like ourselves go and provide testimony and ask questions and make public comment. And, and I was going to circle back to the rate case. So um, when I was talking to Ian about IRPs, we didn't get a chance to talk about rate case. Um, so those who are unfamiliar about even that terminology rate cases, can, can one of you explain what rate case is? I can explain in simple terms and then Alicia can come in um, and give the a more technical definition. Uh, the way I explain it to my leadership is the IRP is what's proposed in terms of what's being added to the grid in terms of supply side uh, and demand side energy efficiency. So from power plants to uh, to energy efficiency resources. Uh, the rate case is how do you pay for it and what rates are out there to pay for it. Um, and both are very important uh, to be a part of. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. I mean, it's the IRP is technical and complicated, and then the rate case takes that and amplifies it significantly. You have, with rate cases, you look and make sure that the utility earned an appropriate amount in the past, and you use things like test years to look back in the past at how the utilities collected revenue. And you have things like cost of service studies that make sure that the different classes like residential, commercial, industrial are all paying an appropriate amount based on how and when they use the grid. So it, it can get very technical very quickly. And you start talking about things like credit ratings and return on equity. There's a lot more um, economics as well, but organizations like ours like shouldn't be scared to get into this process because you do learn as you go. There is documentation and there's also a lot of like really great experts out there to help you. Um, definitely give a shout out to Kevin Kelly and to South Face and organizations like that. And even organizations that have just been doing this longer, like Gipple and SACE, they're all so helpful and take our questions and they're present in every state. So we don't want, we don't want different governments to be scared to step into the space because the terminology is scary or because they don't understand capacity expansion modeling or scary terms like that. And I, while you're giving shout outs, I have to give another shout out to World Resources Institute, uh, Rocky Mountain Institute, um, who were partners for us for the American Cities Climate Challenge and have a bunch of free resources on a lot of different um, IRP and uh, formal utility uh, hearing interventions that local governments have taken and, you know, what their uh, what their suggestions are, what their best practices are. So you, you're not just learning about the, the, uh, Georgia's um uh, experience here, but uh, looking at North Carolina and others who, uh, if you're if you're interested, it's definitely worth taking a look at and definitely helped uh, f form our strategy. What was the process of Georgia Power inviting you all to be part of the rate case conversation? So the nice thing is in Georgia, you don't have to be invited. That's nice. Or to my knowledge, and you don't have to be invited in any state. I can't, I can't decide. Maybe, maybe they would invite us. Maybe they wouldn't. I, I really don't know. Cause it's one of those things where it's like football rivalries, you know, you're, 
you might be on a different side during a proceeding. And then on other parts of the company, you're great partners. Like, I mean, we are on EV Make Ready and energy efficiency. Like we're great partners with Georgia Power. Um, but no, you can just apply to intervene and say, here is my reason for being here. Like I'm a paying customer or I represent um, paying customers of Georgia Power and I'm representing interests that aren't represented by anyone else in this case. Well, I, and I just, I'm just really glad that you asked that question uh, because in 2019, uh, we at the, the city of Atlanta, we wrote um, a public letter to public service commissioners uh, telling them what we were advocating for. Um, and then we were actually, it wasn't Georgia Power, but we were called out by, um, by actual public service commissioners saying that if we really take our 100% clean energy goal seriously, that we should, um, that we should intervene uh, in these hearings and we should be a part and should, we should have a formal seat at the table and, and do it uh, in a way that, that's formally recognized. Uh, and, and that helped lead us to our first uh, intervention in the rate case. Uh, and then three years later, uh, the IRP and now we're at the rate case again and we're not alone. Um, and so, like, like I said, it's uh, it's it, it it's been a good partnership, and it's a uh, it's also a great story for um, opening that opening that gate and that opportunity, um, encouraging us to take that formal seat at the table uh, and taking that jump and making history. Now, with the process, the IRP came out on July twenty first, so that was approved at that point. What is the process with the rate case? Is that in, still in the works now? It is. We haven't done any of our hearings yet. So Georgia Power filed on, I believe, June 24th. And then the first set of hearings will be in September with the next sets occurring in November and then very early December. And we expect a decision right before Christmas. And are they public? Are they, are they, record, are they live? Can people tune in and see it? You can if you want to watch... <laughs> eight or nine hours of YouTube testimony, you are more than welcome to follow the Georgia Public Service Commission on YouTube. Ooh, but I gotta I'm... say, Alicia, I gotta say, yeah, nine hours of Public Service Commission hearings sounds invigorating. And honestly, it, it is actually for, for, for us energy wonks, but I, I'll just have to say, you know, in terms of, you know, what could be provided in, in like the description for uh, Green Minds, in the past IRP, we can actually, we can get the thumbnail and the parts where we're uh, testifying. It's, I think it is actually as entertaining as it gets. Uh, and I'm, I might be a little bit biased, but Alicia did a great job in crossing, uh, crossing witnesses uh, and uh, really lifting up and making our, um, our intervention well-respected. Um, and, you know, obviously the testimony with our expert witness and, and then me uh, was a lot of fun too. Uh, and you know, it's it's worth it's worth looking into. And maybe if you don't have nine hours, you're going to be playing it in the background. Uh, we can at least give you the uh, the thumbnails and the specific times to listen into for our our testimony during those hearings. And definitely want to keep you in the loop on ours uh, going forward as well. Yeah. And on that note, if other governments are looking to intervene, there. 
they don't need to be deterred if they don't have a budget for this. Like if they don't think, oh, I can't afford an expert witness. I can't afford an attorney. We honestly did this on a shoestring budget paying only for the cost of my travel because I was the only one who was not within driving distance of Atlanta. We used one of our members as our attorney. We used one of our members as a witness. And we also have great partners. We had um, GridLab um, pay for our witness for the IRP. And we have another organization that I don't know if we can disclose yet that has graciously agreed to help us pay for our witness for the um, rate case. That's a great point. And some people may not know that city of Atlanta is John R. You, you are big in, in city of Atlanta, but there are other governments that we've been referencing that are outside of the outskirts of city of Atlanta. Can you all talk about the other cities that may be SSDN members that have been involved in this process as well? Absolutely. Uh, the County of DeKalb, city of Decatur and Athens, Clark County, and they've been uh, great and crucial partners uh, and, and uh, how diverse and uh, different expertise and skills have been brought together to be able to help carry this um, mm -hmm. this big load has been so important. And to Alicia's point, I mean, every uh, everybody, including public ser service commissioners, thought uh, that she was uh, she was a, a lawyer. Uh, uh, and you know, it was great to even have uh, her get some compliments from uh, Georgia Powers lawyers. It, it's it says a lot. And um, so talk about shoestring budget, you know, uh, one of our witnesses was a city uh, representative and um, what who usually is a lawyer uh, was Alicia and she filled the role really well. And, and still we got a lot out of the process. So, you know, don't be intimidated and definitely recommend um, doing it with others that share your goals. How did the, just out of curiosity, Alicia and John are, how did that process begin? Did, so you knew that this is coming because they do this every three years, um, Georgia Power does. And so who instigated the first step in convening you all to, in this process? That's kind of tough. I know Savannah was thinking about doing it. I think we may have asked the question like, hey guys, do y'all want to join us or should we do this alone? But I don't want to say that we started it because it did come up. I know like Kevin Kelly did some educational like webinars on it. So that may have been the inspiration. And I know Atlanta was asking the same question internally. Like, should we do this alone? Should we do this with a group? So I think, yeah. I think you're talking to the two ringleaders here, but... Yeah, and honestly, it started off with just the relationships that we built through SSDN. Uh, Andrew Saunders, who's still at Athens Car County, but he's in a much more promoted role. Um, Nick uh, and Savannah, uh, and you know, we were talking about it three years ago after we intervened in our rate case um, alone, and said, you know, these are the things we got out of it, you know, and this is what we did, you know, while doing it alone. Uh, it'd be great to be able to do this together. And, you know, collectively, we represent a pretty significant portion of, you know, the energy demand as well as the population for the, the entire state. Um, and it also helps when you also have other members uh, of SSDN, you know, the North Carolina cohort uh, doing something similar that helps de-risk it uh, for other members and, um, and, and shows that this can deepen partnerships, not, you know, not hurt partnerships between the utility, deepen those 
um, and make them, you know, Alicia talked about our, our partnerships with Georgia Power for energy efficiency work, for electric vehicle work, you know, coming out of the IRP, I feel like our, our relationship with Georgia Power is uh, more formally deep because of it and, and in writing, which is, uh, which is really exciting. So um, that's kind of how it, it got started. And, uh, you know, we're, we're hoping that more, more join us in the future. And uh, I think you, both of you have used the term load, which I think is ironic considering the topic that we're, we, we were talking about, because you're talking about it's a heavy load, which I'm assuming it's the, the heavy lift <laughs> of this process. Um, how long were, once you, you, the ringleading started, how long was that process? And obviously it's still continuing with the rate case, but are we talking three months, six months, year? We started talking in January. And the process ended in July. And then we never stopped really. We're like, okay, guys, you got to go through your internal process again for the application to intervene for the rate case. Go ahead and be finding out who needs to do. So it just never stopped. We're probably going to be doing this like at least through the end of the year. And then there's some other dockets coming up that we may or may not feel led to intervene in just because they also affect what we're doing, like fuel cost dockets and things that are even less sexy than the IRP in the rate case. Personally, I've, I've learned a lot uh, through the process um, and not just about, you know, going through these hearings and how these decisions are made, um, but really diving into the, the energy wonk of uh, energy regulation in a unique state that is, you know, uh, in this case, Georgia, uh, being able to learn from, um, from my colleagues, Alicia is, an absolute energy expert. I, there's no other way to, to put it. Uh, and it's, it's just been really cool to be able to develop these deep, you know, relationships, um, uh, between our, our partnerships, because we're at least talking once a week, uh, at least. And I know we have our cohort meetings through SSDN every month, but to be able to, to talk on a weekly basis, um, and stay in the loop, cause it goes beyond just, uh, you know, what we're talking about today, the IRP, and the rate case and formal hearings. We also get to learn about the specific projects uh, that uh, each of us are doing, kind of get updates, um, like, uh, you know, and the energy savings performance contract work and um, the municipal solar program in the city of Savannah and cheering them on from the sidelines. And um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been really, really exciting. When it, so now that the IRP was out July 21st, you're in the rate case period, which could go to the end of the year. And like Alicia said, there may be some additional dockets. Um, the implementation of the IRP uh, through that process, are there other ways for you all to check and balance that what's in the IRP is actually being executed um, in addition to what comes up on dockets? Yeah, there is. Um, so there's like a, a DSM working group that we can participate in um, in between IRPs. And then we also got some of the wins that we're claiming in writing, and we'll be checking in on those for sure. So we want to make sure that what we were told we were getting is what we're actually getting. Excellent. Yeah. And then over the next three years, because, you know, once the, the IRP is already out in terms of what's proposed and then you know 99 of the work is done and then you're just tweaking the details so it's incredibly important to continue to engage with uh the utility and and regulators 
um, and, and their staff during this three year period where you're able to, you know, have influence on what's being proposed for the next one while, you know, while it's being, uh, while models are being done, while all this back work is being done um, so that, you know, you get that into the first draft of, of the IRP instead of coming in last minute and saying all these things need to change and only getting a portion of those recommendations done. Yeah, so learned, it's critical. We learned a lot about how the sausage gets made. So for this rate case, we're going to take the learnings that we have from the IRP and we know who we need to talk to when now better than we did when we first intervened because there's there's behind the scenes action in a, in a case that's complicated and you need to know like where, where the decisions are being made and I think we have a better idea of how to schedule our time and meetings with commissioners meeting with staff meeting with Georgia Power to, to do exactly what Jagar was saying and make sure we get in while there's still time for changes to be made. Mm -hmm. I would say, even though every utility is different, the experience that you all have been through um, and had success in, some of that could definitely be replicable to other utilities in the Southeast. So lots of learnings from the SSD and members, and perhaps there's a workshop that is forthcoming. We're excited about it. would love to do it. Yeah. Well, good. Was there anything else you wanted to share about either specifically about your city and the process or the process itself? I'll just say that I'm happy to take questions from anyone who has them because I want to see more coalitions of local governments. That's our literal name um, intervening in other states because, you know, the work of climate mitigation is necessarily cross borders. Improving the situation in Georgia is going to have a small effect if it's not improving in every SSDN state and across the country. So information sharing is something that we're all very excited to do and would love to support however we can. Yeah, the way I look at it, um, and I usually say if we can do it in Atlanta, we can do it anywhere. But if you can do it in Georgia, you can definitely do it anywhere. So that, whether that's city of Savannah, whether that's city of Decatur, DeKalb County, uh, Athens, Clark County, us, uh, your co-hosts in Sandy Springs. Um, I, I, I think, you know, being able to show that this process um, has had a positive impact on our relationship with our utility has had a po positive outcomes in terms of what we've advocated for and being able to actually get that uh, in writing, um, as well as positive uh, relationships with our community members and our uh, and other partners and interveners that have uh, spent this time and these resources to be a part of this process, sometimes advocating for the, the very same things that uh, we were advocating for. Um, if, we, if we can do it in Georgia, then any of y'all can do it. Uh, so uh, definitely looking forward to, you know, taking any questions, hopefully de-risking things for y'all, um, both for IRP hearings, rate cases, and you know, the, all the all the other hearings that uh, Alicia was talking about uh, in the next three years up to the next IRP. That sounds great. Well, thank you, John and Alicia, for taking time to be with us today here on the Green Minds podcast. And uh, kudos on on those great efforts you guys have made and great strides and and what's to come too. I, I think it's a really great case for all of us in the SSDN, as John said, if Georgia could do it, anybody can do it. So, well, thank you. Thank you both. And uh, we look forward to hearing the continued journey on the rate case and uh, what happens in Georgia Power and the process with the implementation of the IRP. Thank you both. 
Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you, Laurel. Love SSDN. Love Green Minds podcast. Listen to all the episodes. Keep up the great work. You're listening to the SSDN Green Minds podcast. I'm Laurel, your co-host, along with Catherine Mercer-Baggett. And a huge thank you to our guest today, Ann Livingston, SSDN's Director of Policy Programs, as well as Alicia Brown with the City of Savannah, John R. Seidel with the City of Atlanta. Thank you to all of them for sharing all the information about IRPs and the most recent Georgia Power IRP process and the, and the good work that is continuing to happen in the region of Georgia. Well, stay tuned for our next episode of the SSDN Green Minds podcast coming out in September. And thanks for listening. Stay green.